Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at the Rock. So the other day I was thinking about a rainbow. You know, a rainbow, according to the Word of God, God's design when He first put that bow in the sky, right, was designed as a sign that He is a covenant God, that He is a God of promises. And it was designed so that the earth would remember that there's always hope. If we look at that scripture back in Genesis 9, verse 16, it says, when the rainbow is in the cloud, this is God, and he's telling, giving instruction. When the rainbow is in the cloud, then I will look at it. God himself is going to look at the rainbow and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. It is a reminder that God is a covenant-keeping God. And when he declares his promises, when he declares his plan, he is going to keep his word. And every time I see a rainbow, I'm reminded, I'm given hope. Hope that God is working. Even though I may not have the things that I seek, I may not have in my possession the things that I desire or believe that God has for me, I know that there is hope, and I'm reminded of that by the symbol of the rainbow. Sometimes life is like that, right? We know God is working, but we know that what we need is not what we have, right? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, how do I act and what do I do in those seasons where I know God has promised, but I haven't yet received the fulfillment of that promise? For example, I can think of a couple promises in my life where I went through seasons of claiming those promises, believing those promises, but not possessing those promises, not having experienced the fulfillment of them. Promises like the fact that me and my household shall be saved. I prayed for my father's salvation from the time I was 16. It wasn't until I was 26 that he came to know Jesus. For 10 years, I was between the promise and the fulfillment. I got a promise from God as a 26-year-old that I would teach the Word of God, that I would be part of a Bible college. It wasn't until 16 years later that I got to teach my first Bible college class. For 16 years, I was living between what I knew was God's promise and what the fulfillment of that promise was. I remember when we built this house and we had a campaign that if we build his house, he'll build our house. Right? And I had a promise because I wasn't a homeowner at the time that if I built this house, God would build my house. And shortly, I believe within about a year of when we started that campaign, God opened doors and I was able to step into my own home. And there's different timelines for promises, right? Promises sometimes are like that. They're quick. That was a quick one in my life. But then there's long ones of like, oh, Lord, when? Oh, Lord, when is it ever going to happen? Right? There's areas in my life right now where I'm waiting on the manifested promises, Right? I'm believing. And so tonight, what I want to talk to us about and what I believe the Spirit of God wants to encourage us, encourage us around is what happens between the promise and the fulfillment. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as the promises of God are, in Him they are yes, and through Him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. We quote this scripture a lot, a lot, right? The promises of God are yes and amen. The yes is God's already said yes. He's already made provision through Jesus Christ, through his word, 
through his promises. But then our job is the amen, the so be it. We come into agreement with God's word and say, yes, be it done to me according to your will, according to your plan, according to your promises. You know, even in the Bible, when God gave promises, not just in my life, but in these, we've given lots of biblical examples of timelines between the promise and the fulfillment. You think about Abraham and Sarah, right? He would be a father of many nations. That was 25 years in the making until Sarah was actually pregnant and Isaac was born. Think about Joseph. He gets a vision about haystacks bowing down to him, right? And then he goes through all of these trials and tribulations, and it's not till 23 years later that he sees that vision come to pass when his brothers bow down before him as he's leading Egypt, and God has used him to bring provision to the land and the people. This one's a little bit ridiculous, but I'll mention it anyway, in case you think I've been waiting longer than 23 years and I've been waiting longer than 25 years. You can't beat this one, I promise you. Think a minute about Noah. Between the time God said build and the first raindrops fell, do you know that that was more than 100 years? I don't know if there's any, anybody over 100 in the room tonight, so I bet he waited longer than you or I have waited. How about this one from Genesis chapter 3, where we see the prophecy in verse 15, right? That Jesus would come and crush the head of the enemy until Jesus is born 4,000 years. God is faithful to keep his promises but we have to keep ourselves in the in-between, right? We have to keep, how do we behave in the time in-between? I mean, why does God even use promises? I would propose to you tonight that promises anchor us for godly living. I'll repeat that again. Promises help to anchor us for godly living. This scripture in 2 Peter says this, for his divine power has granted to us everlasting, everything, sorry, pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world on account of that, so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature. Promises anchor us for godly living. And in the meantime, between the promise and the fulfillment, I have to remember, right, that I am the child of a king. So how do I behave as a king's kid in the in-between? Between what I know is mine but I haven't yet possessed, what is my behavior? What is my posture? How do I behave in the in-between season? Because I am an heir. And how does the heir act before the inheritance is received? Does the heir act like a pauper? Like a poor person? Moaning and groaning about what they're never going to have? That would be foolish because they know there's an inheritance. Does the heir lack, act like everyone else who doesn't have an inheritance? No, that would be foolish because there is an inheritance. Is the heir 
living hopeless and tragic and bewildering life, like I don't understand anything, they don't have to because they know there's a hope, there's a promise, there's an expectation in their future. You and I are heirs of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we don't live like other people do. We don't hope like other people do. We don't expect like other people do, right? What is the difference between the heir and others who are in the same circumstance? The heir who hasn't yet received the inheritance. The heir has hope, the heir has faith, the heir has a future, the heir have confidence, the heir knows the current situation is but temporary, the heir understands that the unseen is actually the greater reality than what they're experiencing at the moment, the heir understands that they're walking through a testing of their heart, the heir understands that they might be walking through the testing of their faith, but they know that they are maturing in the process because in the end, there's an inheritance, right? We live in a... I don't get it and I don't understand, but here's what I do know. I know in whom I have believed and I know that he is faithful. So what is the proper position when the promise is not yet? How do we act like king's kids before we look like king's kids? Here's some things. My first point tonight, my first proposition to you would be this, that you and I need to have a posture of reverence. A posture of reverence. And when I say that, here's what, here's what the picture that I get in my mind. Pictures in my mind is being down on our face right before the Lord. A posture of laid out in holy reverence before God because God is holy and God is good. God is righteous in all of his ways. God is sovereign. God is king. God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The God who sustains and maintains and holds Every created thing, seen and unseen together, is worthy of reverence, regardless of my circumstances. He is perfection. Isaiah 40, 12 says this. It's a question being asked. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the waters of creation fit in the hollow of his hand? And he measured the heavens with a span, and he calculated the dust of the earth with a measure. And he weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. The God that we speak of, the things that we look at, and we're in awe and majestic, whether it be the size of a mountain or the sand of the seashore or the stars of the sky or the waters of the earth, he measured them out, he put them in place. Worthy of reverence, worthy of awe. He's bigger than our imagination, our situation, and our circumstances. He's the God who speaks, and planets exist. You know, when God sends something into motion, it doesn't stop. Science has discovered that the universe continues to expand, right? When he said, let there be light, 
We're still in a let there be light mode. There's still new stars, new galaxies, new expansion, new creation, because his word has that much power. This is God, the king of whom I am his kid, and so are you. A position of reverence, even if I don't have what I want or expect, even if everything isn't working out like I know God would have it to and like I know it will in my future. Job said it like this. Well, actually, God told Job this. Actually, no, I take it back. A little context here. So uh, if you know something about the book of Job, you know that everything is taken away from Job. So no matter how pitiful and ridiculous any circumstance in our life might appear, Job was worse, right? Lost his family, lost his business, lost his buildings, his homes, his animals, his farm, his possession, his health, everything. He lost it all. So Job's friends come along, and they're going to use every type of rational human thinking that they can come up with to explain why Job is in the situation that he's in, right? Because actions have consequences, Job. Something's wrong with your heart, Job. There's something you must have done, Job. Right? And they use all of these long diatribes to come down and rationalize Job's situation. But Job says, you know what? I lived before God. And before God, to my knowledge, I am righteous and I have not done. But I will not curse God because God is worthy of reverence. God is worthy to be praised. So even though all of this is happening in my world, God is still good. God is still sovereign. God is still great. And so Job says this in Job 42. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. Therefore, because of this, Job says, I retract, I repent, and sitting on dust and ashes. But what is he saying? I may not understand what's happening to me, but I know who you are. And if my heart has ever blamed you, ever accused you, ever thought that you were the one who was wrong, I repent and I will sit here because you are God. That's the posture of a king's kid's heart. We don't question the Almighty when things don't go my way. We don't question the Almighty, His goodness, His plan, His sovereignty, His royalty, just because it didn't go like I wanted it to go. Because He's still King. So instead of crying out with our mouths and wailing with our hands and justifying our circumstances like Job's friends trying to do, or just walking in natural ways, or believing that, oh, it's just cause and effect, that's the way it is, I just have to live with it, questioning his goodness and his existence and his love for me, instead of doing all that and thinking, I guess I didn't put the right coins in the slot machine of the universe and God's not going to give me my way because we are not called to test God that way. As children, we don't live like that. We don't say, I'm going to give you a little and God, you better give me a lot. And if you don't, I'm going to walk away. That's not the kind of respect and reverence and awe that God has called us, that who he is demands from us as his children. Psalms 95 puts it like this. When your fathers put me to the test, they tested me, though they had seen my work. 
For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. What was happening? A generation who was saying, despite everything God had done, despite how he had rescued us, despite how the miracles had happened, you know what? I'm not getting what I want right now. God's not giving me what I want, so I'm not going to follow him. He is not God. And God says, when your fathers put me to the test like that, I was disgusted. Why? Because the position of their heart was not one of reverence before me. I want to have a heart of reverence before my God. I don't want my circumstances to determine what I believe and how great he is. Because the truth is that he is good and he is sovereign and he is righteous regardless Regardless, if nothing goes my way, he is king of kings and lord of lords. Romans puts it like this in the New Testament. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And what was the result? They became futile in their reasoning and their senseless hearts were darkened. May we never let our circumstances turn our back on the one who is worthy of holy reverence. In the in-between, between the promise and the fulfillment, let's have a posture of reverence anyway, even if we don't understand what's happening in our world. Can you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Second thing, between the promise and the fulfillment, I think we need to remember that we have a position of royalty. Posture of reverence, but a position of royalty. Ephesians 2.16 says this about those who are the sons and daughters of the Most High, the king's kids. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been positioned, seated together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. The Bible goes on to say far above all principalities and powers, right? Far above all of those circumstances. Our position is one of royalty. Romans 8, 17 says it like this, that if we are children, king's kids, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Our position in the in-between is a position of royalty. Royalty has authority. Royalty has access. Royalty comes with privileges. So even though our circumstances may not be what we want them to be, our situations may not be exactly what we know they're going to be, in the in-between, we have to remember that we have been positioned, that all authority has been given to us, that we are seated above powers and principalities, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we have been received the keys that give us access to the kingdom of God. And I can step right into it should I choose to use what God has given me as a king's kid. Matthew 16, 19 says it like this. I will give you, Jesus talking to his disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? Yeah, so if I were to hand Dr. Adams the keys to my car, he could do what? 
he could go drive away. Not that he would want to. Have you seen his car? But anyway, in case he was looking for an extra car, right? He, he could get into my car, right? He could turn it on and he could take off with my permission. It's a choice. We've been given keys of the kingdom. That means we have access. We have permission. We've been given authority. Jesus is like, here's the keys. Now go Go for a ride, right? Go use them. Don't put them in your pocket and go, if I ever need them, I'll take them out, right? Keys of the kingdom. Don't forget what keys do for us. And it says, and then whatever, because you have these keys, whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. That's authority. That's a position of royalty. Whatever I bind, whatever I choose to be bound on the earth, right? According to God's word, according to scripture, whatever we bind on the earth, it will be bound in heaven. My actions have eternal consequences. My actions impact eternity. And then he also said, whatever you loose, whatever you unwrap, whatever you let go, whatever you set free on the earth will also be loosed in heaven. Wow, even though my circumstances may not be the best, I still have authority. Even though my circumstances might not be what they want to be, I can still walk out who God has called me to be. I am not limited in my position by what's happening in my world. My heart keeps him king, but I remember that he's invited me to be a joint heir together with him in this kingdom. I am in this world, but I am not of this world. Which means that when my circumstances aren't going like they should, I don't have to act like the world does. I don't have to moan and groan and walk around, oh, nothing's going right, I don't know. There's breath in my lungs, the song said, right? That's something going right. I woke up this morning, something's going right. Right? As long as there's breath in my life, things can turn around and I have position. I am a daughter of the Most High God. First Peter 2.9 says it like this. But you, king's kid, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My circumstances don't limit my ability to be the expression of his goodness on the earth. I am called, I am chosen, I am appointed, I am commissioned, I am on mission, even though everything might not be working out perfectly, right? I can tell you right now, one of my journey of promise to fulfillment has to do with my health. Whenever they ask for healing, from the sanctuary and somebody comes up and they have a word, you know, and they say, who needs healing? I always put my hand in the air. If you've got your eyes on me, you might think, that girl's so sick, I don't know what's wrong with her, right? She's always got her hands in the air. But I've been on a, on a, on a journey between the, the promise and the fulfillment. Right? That journey has to do with some of this weird connective tissue in my body. It just does what it wants to do, not what it's supposed to do. So what do I do? I speak to it every day. I tell it right, that I am healed by his stripes. I tell it that it already paid the price and I am walking that out. Does that limit me today from laying my hands on the sick and they shall recover? No. 
Oh, no way. That doesn't disqualify me. Why? Because I am positioned in royalty. I have been given the authority to release the kingdom of God on the earth. I'm not going to walk around, well, I'm not healed, so I guess nobody else can get healed. No. When people get healed, it has nothing to do with my position between the promise and the fulfillment. It has to do with who I am and what's been given to me, the authority that God has given me on the earth to lay my hands on the sick and they shall recover. We don't live according to our circumstances. We live according to whose we are. He's given us our inheritance. He's filled our hearts, the Bible says in Hebrews, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. We have what we need to give to the world. He's given us grace, his power in us and on our behalf so that we can be and do everything that he's called us to do. This is part of our inheritance as king's kids. Right? Sometimes when we look at our circumstances, we have to remember, because we are positioned in royalty, that that changes our perspective. Right? If I drive close to the San Bernardino Mountains, as I get close to them, they get larger and larger and larger, so much so that from right here I can see the entire mountain's outline. But as I get closer, all I can see is what's in front of me, right? I just see the trees and I see the trail and I see the path. And I have no idea the enormity of the mountain because I'm so into the mountain, I'm not backed away. I've, I've not, my position is very, very close, right? If I get in an airplane, and I fly over the San Bernardino Mountains, not only do I see the outline, I see the entire shape, I see layer upon layer, and as I get higher up in the plane, it looks smaller and smaller and smaller because I begin to see things all around it. Many times that's how our circumstances are in our life. We have to remember that we're positioned in royalty, that we're positioned on high, that we don't have to let ourselves get so encumbered by the circumstances that they seem so big that I can't get out of them, that nothing's going to get better until I'm healed. Nothing's going to get better until my finances are taken care of. Nothing's going to get better until my family is safe. Nothing's going to get better because these are the situations I'm believing for. But if I remember that I have been seated on high and I look down, I can say, yeah, that area still needs some work. But look at all this stuff that God is doing, how he's using me and what's working for his good. We have to have a perspective that comes from our position of where we've been seated. Perspective comes from our position. We are not in the mess, but we walked through the mess, right? That, that's what we do, right? Our position doesn't mean nothing will touch us, nothing will go wrong, we'll have no lack, we'll have no need, but it means that we walk through that and God is still good in the meantime. He's still righteous, he's still holy, he's still enough and I'm still his daughter. He's got my back, he goes before me, he is behind me, he is my strong force, he is my bulwark, he is the one I can run to, he is the one that has me in the shadow of his wings. None of those things change because something ain't going right. Romans 8.28, scripture familiar to many of us, says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If I believe that, if I believe that God makes all things work together for his good according to his purpose, then when my circumstances and my situation and things aren't going right and I know I'm walking through it, I can think, 
oh, this sucks. This is terrible. This is not what I want. Oh, this is a tough place, right? And I can be like, this is just miserable. I just hope it ends soon. Or I can walk through it and go, you know what? God is still God. God is still on the throne. I'm still his kid. His word says that all things, even this crud that I'm living right now, all things work together for good to those who love God. Let me do a heart check. Yup. Love you, Lord. Called by his name. Yup. I'm called. So guess what? My questions change. My questions are not why I don't want to get rid of it, but what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you working in me, God? What's the plan? We're going through this through a reason, so show me what you're doing. Help me to see your perspective. Help me to see your hand. Help me to see how you're going to turn it around, how you're going to use it. The God who redeems all things for his good, for his glory, can redeem every situation and turn it around and make it good. If it ain't good, it ain't over. If you're a king's kid. So we got to make sure that we check our heart, that we check our motives, that we get right and we stay right and not let the circumstances define the things that have been spoken from heaven and our promises for you and for me. We're a king's kid. The last thing is we're walking through, waiting for the space between the promise and the fulfillment is we've got to have some patience. Position of reverence, right? A posture of reverence, a position of royalty, but some patience in the right now. Some patience in the right now, right? The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? There's some waiting involved in the earth time, right? One day in the great by and by, the place where we all want to be, but the funny thing is nobody wants to die to get there, right? <laughs> what a conundrum. But one day we look forward to a place where everything will be perfectly aligned and in order. But in the wait time, sometimes we need some patience. Joseph needed some patience. He had some promises, but then he was accused, right, of trying to rape a woman, thinking, God, what are you doing? But God redeemed that, put him into prison, where he was forgotten, right? And he wasting away, but God redeemed that, right? No matter what the circumstances are, sometimes we gotta wait it out. How much mockery do you think Noah endured in 100 years? If it didn't rain last year, it ain't gonna rain next year. If it didn't rain last decade, it ain't gonna rain the next decade. If it didn't rain the last 50 years, it ain't gonna rain the next 50 years. This guy's an idiot, right? But yet, but yet there was some waiting on what God was doing. You and I, we gotta wait, right? We gotta wait. How many times in my journey of from promises to fulfillment in the things that God has called me to, did I, was I not tempted to take things into my own hands and put myself in a position to do what I wanted to do instead of waiting for God to do what he wanted to do? Because in the meantime, in the waiting, God was forming me, right? God was doing what he wanted to do. God was allowing those circumstances that I thought were difficult, right, to be fire in my life. And the good thing about fire is it purifies right? It purifies. The silver is purified by being placed into the fire, right? We don't like that. All right, bad topic. Okay, go back. Patience in the right now. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise. How many times does it feel like, Lord, remember I'm healed, Lord, remember I'm healed. 
The Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God's slowness brings about his work. It brings about his way. He's not slow according to his perspective, even though it may seem like it in your perspective, in my perspective. So we got to have some patience in the right now. Galatians 6, 9 says it like this. Let us not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. Do not become weary. Don't let the in-between time knock you out. Don't let the in-between time kick you out of your inheritance. Don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it steal your authority. Don't let it steal your reverence. Don't let it steal your awe. Tell your heart, be patient. Be patient. God is working. As that song say, even when we don't see it. Right? He's working even when we don't see it. You know, Jesus describes this in-between time in Matthew chapter 24. I don't think this is on the screen, so I'll just read it for you. You can listen. All right. He says in the in-between time, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, he says, lawlessness is increased, and as a result, most people's love will become cold. But the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. In the in-between time, we need some endurance, right? We need to, to stick to the end. We need to know that things may be hard. There may be tribulation. I may not understand or know why, but I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to, with patience, do what God has asked me to do so that in the end, I will be saved. I will receive the salvation that God has for me. That salvation is every area of our life. Finances, health, relationships, right? Business, job, family. Every aspect of what we live on the earth is covered in the price that Jesus paid in the salvation that God has for us. We have to remind our hearts sometimes that, hey, God's timing's not your timing. God's timing's not your timing. I'm often, I'm often asked by people about prophecies and things that have been spoken in their life and what do I do with it but God said I was going to do this but God said I was going to do this but I got a word that said I was going to do this and they're trying their hardest to make those things happen and I'm convinced that in their trying they're messing it all up right the best thing they can do is to take that that word that uh, prophecy that encouragement put it on the shelf and continue to serve God, continue to be God, keep God as reverent and holy in their life, continue to live out their privileges in royalty and do what God has called them to do, and God will make sure that his word comes to pass in their life and in his time, because God's timing is so often not our timing. I can't think of a single example of the ones I went through when they're like, yeah, I totally knew it was going to be 25 years. No problem, right? Joseph, yeah, I knew this... This vision that I got and I shared with my brothers 10 minutes after I got it, I knew it was going to be 23 years in the making, right? When I sat in Bible college and I knew that God had called me to be part of a Bible college as a 26-year-old, I could never told you that it was going to take 16 years before I teach my first Bible college class. I thought it was coming like in two years, right? I had my own timeline. God has his timeline. God's timing is not our time. 
But here's one thing that's true. Between the promise and the fulfillment, or the promise and the provision, there is his presence. On the entire journey, there is his presence. I was reading Psalms 94 this morning, and as I read it, it just jumped out at me how his presence is in the midst of these circumstances. So I want to read it with you tonight. If you have your Bible, you can go along with us. We're just going to read through Psalms 94. I'm going to highlight a couple of scriptures as we close out this thought about how we behave and how we live between the promise and the fulfillment. Psalms 94 says, Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, judge the earth, pay back retribution to the proud. How long, Lord, shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? They pour out words, they speak arrogantly, all who do injustice boast. They crush your people, Lord, and afflict your inheritance. They kill the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob perceive. Pay attention, you stupid ones among the people. And when will you understand, you foolish ones? Look at verse 9. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? And he who formed the eye, does he not see? God is present in that situation they're crying out about. He sees and he hears. Our ear and our eye come out of who he is, a God who sees and a God who hears. And if he sees and he hears, then he's there. There's presence in the midst of this. Verse 10 says, he who disciplines the nations, will he not rebuke? He who teaches mankind knowledge? The Lord knows human thoughts that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, Lord, and whom you teach from your law. Look at verse 13 and 14. So that you may grant him relief from days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. Got that? Relief from adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. Verse 14, for the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he abandon his inheritance. Sometimes we just got to have patience. God will grant relief from adversity. Until when? Until the pit is dug for the wicked. But in the meantime, he does not abandon his people. He does not abandon his inheritance. He is present in the midst of the situation. Verse 15, for judgment will again be righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do injustice? Verse 17, if the Lord had not been my help, presence, my soul would soon have dwelt in the land of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, what does that mean? I messed up. I made a mistake. I didn't make the right choices. Your faithfulness, Lord, will support me. And when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your comfort delights 
my soul. Presence in the midst of the most difficult, most challenging, longest duration of circumstances. Verse 20, can a throne of destruction be allied with you? One which devises mischief by decree? Rhetorical question, the answer is obviously no. They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and they condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my refuge and my God, the rock of my refuge. Even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of a world that seems to be going to hell on a race car, even in the midst of the most difficult situations where nations are struggling and kids are starving and famine is happening and these, the world is warming up and things are falling down and Delta is coming back and all of these things that we hear on the news, true or untrue, exaggerated or not, God is in the midst of those things. He is our refuge. He sees, he hears, he holds us. I can be patient as I wait for the manifesting of my promises in my life and the restoration of all things which God is about, not just in my life, but in all of creation. Verse 23 ends the chapter like this. He has brought their injustice upon them and he will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. You know, when I think about my own journey through struggling with health, I mean, if I'm honest with you, it's been more than a decade and it has a lot of little tiny irritating consequences. You ever heard that saying, death by a thousand cuts? Sometimes I feel like it's like that in my body, a little thing here and a little thing there and a little thing there and every time, I'm proclaiming and I'm standing on the word of God. I'll share with you a couple of these scriptures that I have to speak and believe the promises that I'm holding on to as I wait for the fulfillment. Psalms 107 says this, he sent his word and he healed them. I believe he's God who sends his word and he heals me. Matthew 12, 15 says, but Jesus aware of this withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. So you know what I decided? I'm going to follow Jesus because he heals them all. He's the healer. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself brought our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you were healed. He suffered on the cross, so I am healed. That's my promise. Isaiah 53 says this, But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment of our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. In the middle of the season between these promises and my fulfillment, I have determined that I will have a posture of reverence before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I may not get it, but he's still God. He's still good. He's still sovereign. He's still the healer. He's still worthy of praise and honor. In the midst, in the middle of the promise and my fulfillment, I've decided that I'm gonna remember that I sit in a position of authority because he decided that that's the way it would be, that I am royalty, that I am his daughter, and I can walk on the earth with the authority that God has given me. I can speak and things are gonna change because God said, that's my position. And I can tell my heart that it's okay to be patient in the right now because between the promise and the provision, I'm in the middle of his presence, and that's enough. That's enough. Knowing that God is with me through every aspect of the journey.
There are a lot of promises that I'm holding on to. The Bible says, you and your household shall be saved. I saw my dad saved before he passed on, but I got sisters and I got brother-in-laws and I got nieces and nephews and I speak the promise of God over them and I know that not a single one of them is going to pass into eternity until they meet Jesus because I got promises. And right now it's in the in-between. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.